everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor, Amos Grunendijk. Well, good morning. Happy Easter. My name is Amos. Before you sit down, churches all over the world are opening their services by the leader saying, He is risen, and the church responds, He is risen So one of the things I love about our church is that we've got kids in the room. Can I hear the kids yell that out when I say, He is risen? Okay, kids, we're going to try that again. So you say, He is risen indeed. After I say, He is risen. He is risen? Great. Now everybody together again. He is risen. He is risen Thanks, everybody. You can have a seat. Uh, I mentioned one of the things I love about our church is that since January, we've been having the kids participate in our worship services along with the adults. It's one of the reasons that we started doing communion every week, that we started doing things like standing while we read scripture. It's because, well, it's, it's easy to participate and engage. And it's not really just for the kids. It's, it's for all of us. It's the impact of uh, the repeated habits of spiritual formation. But another thing that I love about our church is that we take certain Sundays out of the year to tell God stories, or in other words, to share what God has been doing Uh, in our lives that we've seen God do around us. And so we were feeling uh, really compelled to have another God Story Sunday in a couple of weeks. That'll be April 23rd. And so I I know that as people have been sharing uh, stories with me, they've used language like, it's a miracle, or I can't believe what I've seen God do in my life since January, which is the last time that we've had a God story. So things you've seen or experienced in church, but also things that you've seen or experienced God through the church or just outside as you live your lives. So as I mentioned, kids have been participating in our service, but today in particular, we have preschoolers in here as well. So I'm going to do something that as far as I know has never happened in this vineyard church. We're going to have a children's message. How many of you guys grew up with children's messages? It's so much fun. So if you're fifth grade or under, could you guys come and gather around this thing right here? I want you to take a look in and tell me what you see. So fifth grade and under, come on down. So you guys are going to say some true things. You guys are actually going to help the adults understand what this little contraption is all about. What is this thing? It's a pool. And what do we use this for? Baptisms. How is baptism different than a bath? You want to say? You don't know? You don't know. Liam. Baptism is different Yeah, so there's a meaning. So the, the water doesn't actually wash your sins away, but it's who washes your sins away, really? Jesus does. And when we are baptized... Well, we're going to read a scripture about that. It's a, it's a way to show everybody that I want my life to change. I want to invite Jesus in. Okay, so I have another question for you guys because we're going to read kind of a difficult scripture passage. Have you guys ever heard the word sin? Yeah, yeah. Everyone, these kids are like, yeah, come on. Uh, could you guys 
Tell me what sin is. Somebody raise your hand. Okay. Sin, sin is like when you do something bad that you weren't supposed to do. Yeah, right. Okay, I have, I have to tell you something, Malachi. I sinned this morning. Did anybody here sin this morning? I think I might have sinned several times. Yeah, okay. Anybody? How about adults too? Yeah, okay. So, what does Jesus do with our sin? Raise your hand. Whoa, whoa. Say, who said that? Is that my little girl? What, what does Jesus do with our sin? Takes it. He takes it. What were you going to add there? Yeah, he replaces sin with what, what you called happiness. In the Bible, sometimes that's called righteousness, like things are good and right inside. Okay, so I know that probably most people here know what the meaning of Easter is, but can you tell me what Easter means, somebody? Uh, Maggie. Easter means God is risen. God is risen. What does it mean to be risen? He's alive. He's alive. Good. That's so true. So I'm going to read a scripture passage with all you guys up here. And when you hear the word rise or risen, could you guys clap or like make some happy noises? Could you do that? Okay. Romans chapter 5. Nope. Romans chapter 6. And I would just say, like, this is an opportunity. If you guys don't have Bibles to run back and grab one, we'll be reading. We like opening our Bibles here at the Vineyard. And this is, again, a very dense passage, but these guys have already done some things to help us understand it. So, Romans 6, verse 3. Have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism, and just as Christ, who's Christ? Jesus. Jesus, yes, was raised from the dead by the glorious, yep, whoa, you guys did it. Ooh, you caught me. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by his, the glorious power of the Father, now we may also live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ. What's crucified? Do you guys know? Liam? Like, yeah, and then what happened? He died. So what this passage is actually saying is, in a way, when we are put under the water, it's like our old selves die. They're united with Christ and our sins go on the cross with him. But then it says in verse 6, just as our old selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives, we are no longer slaves to it. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know that we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will die, never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. So, you guys, you want to answer again what it means to be baptized? Uh, someone here, Allie. I'm going to hold the microphone, though. What it means to be baptized is like, um, so, um, like, baptism is like 
when you asked Jesus into your heart and you had to show it to everybody else. Wow, that's amazing. Good job. That is so right. Do you guys, before you go back to your seats, want to feel the water? Isn't that nice and warm, isn't it? So there's two people that are going to be baptized today, but maybe there's a third. So what I want everybody to know, uh, the adults in the room, if today is the day that you want to publicly say, I'm giving my life to Jesus, you come and talk to me uh, during the worship time and we'll, we'll talk through it and you can be baptized today too, okay? So you kids can go back to your seats. Thank you. Um, I'm trying to do like three things today all at the same time. We're doing, we're talking about baptism. Uh, I, hopefully you have a better understanding, uh, than you did before the children's message. Kids, you did great. Thanks for helping us understand. It's, it's Easter. So we're talking about what it means for Jesus to be raised from the dead. What is accomplished? And so even in the symbolism of baptism, there's some, there's some things that we learned. We learned about how we're united with Jesus in his death. And so our sins go with him to the cross. But then the empty tomb also is something that we get to participate in, right? And I'll, I'll say that resurrection is pretty cool. It's amazing. But Jesus is not the only one to have been raised from the dead in the Bible. Do you know that? So it's not just that he was raised from the dead that makes Easter Sunday important. So like Elijah raises a widow's son from the dead and Lazarus, a guy named Lazarus, Jesus calls up from the dead. And there have been a story sense of the power of God raising people from the dead. But the reason that Jesus being raised from the dead is so significant is because of who he was and the victory that he accomplishes that nobody else that was raised from the dead could have. And so that's, that's kind of where this the rest of this talk is headed. We're going to be continuing in our series that's based on The Chosen TV. Uh, have you guys been watching that? It's so good. And so uh, we'll watch a couple of things Jesus did, and then that'll bring us right up to the question that's prompted in Matthew chapter 11. And so let's watch uh, this short video together. Remedies to amputate. Amputate? Well, now, that's not look good at all. Next. 
next step that I took right here. What's going on? How long has he been here? Uh, not long. As soon as he showed up, he was surrounded. He's safe. He'll be... Let's get you closer. Soon might be now. Let's get John's question answered. Save those big titles for a little bit. <laughs> Master. Ah, uh, yes. Who do we have here? These are two of your cousin's disciples, Avner and Nadal. Jesus of Nazareth? That name I respond to readily. I'll not be returning to Nazareth in this lifetime. The baptizer has an urgent question for you. I recognize you from the day John introduced me to Andrew. Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. Yes. Good memory. <laughs> My cousin can get excited. So, what does John want to know? So my friend Zach is going to come up and read from the Bible what happens next. John the Baptist is in prison. Jesus is performing miracles. Uh, and he, he can't come himself, so he sends friends to ask Jesus a question. Come on up. Zach, could everybody else stand too? This is just a way that we honor God's word as it is spoken to us. Uh, and we, we pray that it will come into us and change us and transform us. You want to hold the mic? Sure. Great. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things that the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah who we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? Jesus told them, go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are being raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, God bless those who do not fall away because of me. Good job. Thank you. You guys can have a seat. So would you pray with me just a second? Come, Holy Spirit. 
we turn to you this Easter, uh, not just our attention, but our lives to Jesus. And we trust that you will do something in our hearts today, that you will meet us, that even as we come to you with our doubts, with our anger, with our confusion, with our pain, with our suffering, that you are merciful and that you love us. Amen. So this is a remarkable passage that Zach just read because you hear that John the Baptist, who was in a way Jesus' herald, do you know what I mean by that? There's this guy named Harold, and he went around talking about Jesus. That was a joke for you. That was a joke for fifth grade and under, okay? Uh, to make sure you guys are still listening. No, okay, so like a herald is somebody who had announced the coming of a king. The king is coming. Make way for the king, right? And so uh, John the Baptist was out in the wilderness calling people to repentance. You guys know what repentance means? Kids, can you tell me what it means to repent? To say you're sorry? Yeah, what else? To say you're sorry and... What's, what's going to be in the future? I'm sorry for what I did, and in the future I will... Well, in this case, I'm going to return to Jesus. I'm going to return to the right path. I'm going to return to the way of Jesus. So it's, a, it's like a turning. I am sorry for this, and I'm going to be different. I'm going to, going to reorient my life. So John the Baptist was preaching repentance to people in the wilderness, and they would come and see him. And one day Jesus walks up. And uh, you heard what the disciple said. John cries out, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And like up to this point, nobody had made such an audacious claim about the person of Jesus. They, they were expecting a Messiah, a, a king, what gets translated here as Christ. Uh, and they were wanting, you know, a revolution to begin to overthrow the Romans. You saw one of the Roman soldiers standing in the crowd. But for John to say, look, not just is this a revolutionary, but this is the man who will take away the sin of the world. Like he understands more than most people do about Jesus at this point. And yet now John is having doubts. What changed for John? Where is John? He's in prison. So the heat has been turned up a little bit. Things aren't going well for John. John might be thinking, Jesus, this movement that you promised is starting. We, we see the miracles, but what about me? I'm in prison. In fact, John is not going to get out of prison, is he? Jesus will heal the sick, blind eyes will see, and yet John will never be released from prison. He's going to be executed uh, before the end of the story. But John does something here. He sends messengers with his question. Are you the one? Are you the one who is coming or should we look for another? This is, this is a question that we're all having to ask ourselves. We ask, we ask it like he asked it. He was asking it because he was in prison. His disciples were asking it. Are you really the one when he's hanging there on the cross? And when his body is laid in the tomb, are you the one? But here now, nearly 2,000 years later, even, even with the testimony, even with the witness of the empty tomb, we find ourselves asking, are you the one? Are you the one that will really bring me peace? 
Are you the one that can really restore all that is broken? Most of us, uh, maybe not kids. I don't know, kids, if you have, I mean, you have problems, right? Do you have problems that it doesn't seem like you can fix? Yeah, there are, adults have this too. Did you know that? Adults have problems that it doesn't seem to matter how hard we try or no matter how long we wait or how often we pray or how fervently we pray that the thing doesn't seem to get fixed. And so when we are faced with an unfixable thing, something that is outside of my power, we might uh, start to wonder, Jesus, are you really the one? Or is there something else out there? Uh, my daughter, Isla, who you heard on the, the microphone, I'm going to tell a story, okay, kiddo? Uh, when mom was putting her to sleep the other night, she asked the question that I think is so profound and so true, and so, a question I think we've all asked before ourselves, or, or a statement we've all said, I'm scared there's nothing out there. The lights were off. It was dark outside. She said, I'm scared there's nothing out there. I have felt that. I think any of us who have been honest have felt that. And one of the beautiful things about this passage is even John the Baptist, who had such great faith and who helped so many people turn their life to Jesus, had a moment of great and intense doubt. And so it's comforting because that means it's okay for you to have doubt too, for you to be frustrated with God when suffering comes, when prayers aren't answered. But John does something that is profound. He can't himself go to Jesus because he's locked up. But when we're experiencing doubt or frustration or pain, we, we basically have a choice. We can turn away from Jesus and walk the other direction and find other people to, you know, rain on our pity party. Or you can turn toward Jesus And he brings his doubts to Jesus. He brings his frustrations to Jesus. And Jesus honors those doubts. He doesn't say, what's the problem, John? Just have a little more faith. Just trust me. Just trust me a little more. No, he actually sends a response. He says, go back and tell John what you have heard and seen. The blind see the lame walk, the lepers are cured, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. This response actually has two levels. It's a little bit hard to see, but he appeals to experience. He says, look what God is doing. Uh, Look what God is doing for other people. Listen to the stories. See the evidence. like, what, what, ex, what are you experiencing right now? Go tell John. But Jesus is also doing something else. He's appealing to John's reason. So John's rational brain would have been hearing the words of Jesus and been flipping through the Old Testament. So it's not just a subjective experience or what you see with your eyes. It's what you know in your head that Jesus brings to John. John is hearing the words of Jesus and he's thinking about uh, the prophet Isaiah and so he's got a foundation to stand on. And these are, these are miracles of mercy that Jesus is performing and that Jesus sends his friends back to report on, but also a message of grace and truth. The miracles of mercy are different than the miracles that John might have expected. They would have expected or hoped for, you know, Jesus to, to lead an army and have victory over this much bigger uh, empire 
And instead of calling down fire from heaven on enemies, Jesus heals the sick. So these miracles of mercy, these acts of mercy that you see God performing around you that you can remember in your own life, man, God had mercy on me. There was a time where I didn't think I was ever going to be able to face the trouble in front of me, and yet there was this supernatural lift that I can't explain. And, and like real, like true miracles, moments where we have seen sickness be healed uh, or an experience that, of God that we've maybe had in our bodies that we weren't expecting. Like, what is that? I feel something. It's real. And so when you're facing doubt, remember your experience, but also uh, use your brain as well. And there's lots of like good apologetic literature that you could turn to. There's also the scriptures. One of the best things you can do in a time of doubt is to simply go back and read through one of the Gospels. Maybe, maybe the writings of Jesus' friend John or of Luke who went back and like searched out uh, some credible eyewitnesses and told the stories about Jesus. Jesus brings a miracle of truth. Uh, he, he is calling people to repent. He is making absolute claims about himself. But it's also a message of grace. And so when he says, blessed are the poor, the poor are receiving good news, this is not your normal economic, uh, you know, system that he's proclaiming. Uh, and it has some, it has, certainly has something to do with, like, economics, but it has something also to do with the spiritual state of ourselves. Because if we come to Jesus spiritually rich, look at all the good I've done, look at how good I am, he's actually not proclaiming good news for you. Because you've said, look at all I have to offer. Or even the spiritually middle class. Well, I mean, I'm not as good as some other people, but I'm not so bad. And I've, you know, the good things I've done, I've done uh, for the right reasons, right? Jesus says, no, you need to turn your lives over to me completely. Blessed are the poor in spirit, he says in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are you who are spiritually bankrupt, because I am spiritually rich. And I am spiritually generous, and I will share with you all that I have accomplished through my death on the cross and through my resurrection. Finally, one of the phrases that he uses here in the NLT is translated, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. If you noticed in your Bible, there's a little asterisk, and you can look down at the bottom where it says, blessed are those who are not offended by me. There's a relevant word for our time and age. I think the word offended gets used pretty much at any given moment. I bet it's on Twitter somewhere. You know, we are a world who is full of people who are constantly being offended. And the, the pot keeps getting stirred because there are just enough people out there who like to do the offending. Am I right? But Jesus is actually saying like, don't be offended, but, which means he's about to say something offensive, right? Like Jesus knows that his message is not just a nice man doing nice things. Some of you have been to college and you've heard a college professor perhaps say, uh, you know, Jesus was just a good moral teacher. You know, the miracles were just people trying to best understand how to put into words what they were experiencing, but they were really drawn to his teaching and his moral teaching was significant. Uh, his teaching on ethics and on the kingdom of God and how to live 
change the world. But that's not true to who Jesus was. Nobody who met Jesus or knew Jesus thought, oh, there's a nice moral teacher. What a nice guy saying nice things. No, they were either offended by him or willing to submit to him. No, people who, and, and maybe that's not even a dichotomy. The people who chose to submit to him were probably first offended by him because he was saying, follow me. Stop trying to define right and wrong for yourselves. Stop trying to save yourselves. You're bankrupt. You need me. I am the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so if you've reduced Jesus to a nice moral teacher, a nice man who did nice things, or if you reduced what your faith is to, to believing the right things and being a nice person, you've missed the message of Jesus. The Apostle Paul says the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence that my life has actually flown into you through the resurrection, is love, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. And these are fruits of the Spirit. Not, I tried really hard and it turned out I, I could be a pretty generous person on most days. No, the fruit of the Spirit is these things have come into me and flow out of me in a way that I could have never accomplished on my own without the grace of God. I couldn't forgive people. I couldn't forgive my spouse. I couldn't forgive the, the trauma that was done to me, the hardship that I faced, apart from the forgiveness and the mercy and the love of God. There's a radical transformation, a radical call to obedience that is offensive. So uh, some of you know who Oprah is. I don't, I, Oprah's fine. I like Oprah. But don't confuse Jesus with Oprah. Because uh, you know what Oprah says? Just believe in yourself. You do you. Jesus says, deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. You're, the kind of obedience I'm looking for from you will mean that compared to your love for me, it's like you're going to hate your own family. Not, don't actually hate your family, but by comparison, I'm looking for the level of obedience that goes beyond family, so far beyond family that I'm trying to help you understand, and that is offensive. And so now the risk, the danger is that we start to take the message of grace, take the message of radical obedience, and start applying it to all the people we know who, uh, well, maybe aren't, aren't as nice as we are right? Or who don't have as much faith as we do. But that's actually missing the point entirely. Because you don't know their past perfectly. You don't know their motives. You don't know the kind of life that they've lived or the things that have been done to them. And honestly, you can't do a whole lot to change that. There is one soul in the entire creation that you have a little bit of power over. And that's the person you're married to. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> that's yourself. If you, that's yourself. There's one soul that you have. Man, I blew my point. <laughs> Bad joke. There's, so there's, there's one person that you can concern yourself with that real change can happen. And, and the real change that you can make is you can orient your life toward Jesus. It's, I'm not talking about self-control or self-discipline. That's not where change, change comes from. It's, it's the turning 
toward Jesus in radical obedience to receive his love. Then, then Jesus can do some things through you. Then you can love freely. Then you can serve uh, patiently and not have it be about how the person you're serving responds to you because you're doing it out of love for Jesus, not out of gratitude that you're hoping to receive from somebody else. Uh, you're forgiving because the love of Jesus compels you to, not because your forgiveness necessarily even fixes the relationship. And so we're drawn to the point of, is my life oriented around this person who claims to be more than a simple man? But the man who not only was risen from the dead, but who defeated death and the powers of evil and sin, as Romans chapter 6 says. Am I going to orient my life around him? Or should you wait for something else? Or should you keep seeking someone else, some idea or thing or journey or enlightenment. This is the question of John. Are you the one? Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.